Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 74 of Death Readers. Uh, this is the podcast where we're reading through books for the first time, or at least I am. Uh, in this episode of Death Readers, we're going to be reading through uh, chapters 30 through 39 in Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park. Uh, now, Do you have titles for those? Yes. For uh, I'm going to say who don't have numbers? that the, the, books, the book shouldn't have chapter numbers in it. The chapter names are The Main Road, which is chapter 30, through chapter 39, which is In the Park. Oh, good. I did it correctly. Uh, Rob has read this book before. I have not. That's sort of our shtick. Um, so we're going to read through this, uh, you know, like the novice and the expert that we are. Hmm. Again, if it's your first time listening, we are going to go through chapter by chapter, page by page, and we take notes. Uh, so if you'd like to read, read along, we uh, seriously encourage it. Uh, go ahead and do that. And you, so you know exactly what we're talking about when we reference the pages. Did I cover everything? I think you did, yeah. Uh, okay, so then that... Do you have any other notes? Do you have any other housekeeping? Housekeeping? I don't have any housekeeping. Well, I have something that became... I have a note that, that could be considered housekeeping, but I think I have a place to bring it up in the chapter, so we'll get to it then. Um, but do you have any housekeeping? I do Doug? have housekeeping. Good. Uh, What's your housekeeping? Well, the question is, that was posed last episode and assigned to me, uh, is what what is lysine? What's lysine? So I looked it up, and the bit it's it's a it turns out it's you know pretty complicated. But the um, the the short answer is that lysine is an amino acid that uses it's used in uh, biosynthesis. Uh, it's used in the biosynthesis of proteins. So that means that basically it's an it's an uh, amino acid that breaks down proteins so that our bodies can use them in nutrition or. So when you eat proteins, it can replenish blood cells or make new muscle tissue or whatever it is proteins need to do. In yes, bodies. but I think you also have to eat the lysine. So you lysine comes in things you eat. So like because you're I think I understand this, that our bodies don't necessarily make lysine. Um, mm -hmm. We have to get it from external sources. Um, so is it silly to have a lysine deficiency? Should they have something else that your body actually I mean, produces? maybe I'm wrong about that one because, like, that's where it got confusing for me. So, you know, mm -hmm. uh, sorry I'm not a biochemist, but uh, I don't I don't know. I don't know everything about lysine. <laughs> I learned sure. that it helps break down proteins for nutrition and other things. So if you don't have it, yeah, if you, if you don't have enough, then you die. If you slip into a coma in 12 hours and die? Dude, I don't know. That doesn't, that seems it, silly. I'm sorry that we don't have more answers. So it sounds like, it sounds like I would, it sounds like if I wasn't breaking down proteins correctly, I would um, get diarrhea. See, this is the moment where I wish we knew a biochemist and we could bring the biochemist on the show. We could ask the biochemist. After a couple of months, I might have like kidney failure, and then I die. But it doesn't seem like. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I don't know any biochemists. I don't know any so. biochemists either. Joining us now, our biochemist friend. No, we don't. We we're, we don't really have. <sighs> are I'm you sorry. a biochemist? I'm sorry, I don't know out any there. Are you listening? Are you have any biochemists? Yeah, listeners? If you know how the lysine deficiency or lysine contingency. You know how lysine works, uh, and you'd like to be on the show. 
and how it would work specifically in avioids, AVNs, and specifically, specifically in dinosaurs and how it could kill them. But if they didn't have it every 12 hours or whatever it was, tell us. Yeah, if you're a paleo biochemist, uh, mm. give us a call. Also, if you know enough about health to know what lysine is, because it might not be that complicated. Because <laughs> uh, I don't know. Because I'm very dumb. Um, I'm glad to know you know. did such intrinsic research. Hey, man, I looked at the first paragraph on Wikipedia, and, and I was like, oh, here's I mean, one note I could take on this. And then I read further, and I got lost. And I was like, I, uh, proteins. Breaks down proteins. I mean, I, I've got a National Geographic article I'm going to read from later, but we'll get to that then. No judgment. I, did you get the October 2020 issue of National Geographic? Yeah, I did. So did I. I didn't really. Well, I did. And I am oh, going to read okay. from it later. Oh, shit. Yeah. On the podcast? Well, that's actually... Uh, now that we're done with lysine, that actually is my second housekeeping issue. Which what? is that I I did purchase the October 2020 issue of National Geographic, which had a cover story about the new changing look of dinosaurs which i guess they have regularly um you know we're all dinosaurs are a big fucking seller for their issues um but this one was specifically about like avian dinosaurs and and how how scientists are going about uh learning about uh plumage colorings and things like that and it uh (laughs) what beautiful plumage (laughs) Um, that's no, the last no. Book. He's pining for the Cretaceous. The 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 buzz that I gleaned from that issue of Nat Geo is that uh, one one I'm kind of embarrassed to say this because they because they don't talk about this in the book as far as I remember, but uh, I don't think all dinosaurs turned into birds. I mean that stands to reason. I think. I mean I I'm not again. Just... I'm I'm not a paleontologist. I'm not an expert on it. But what I understand is that there's a couple different like chunks of groups of dinosaurs i don't remember if it's genus or family or whatever but there's uh a group called the avian dinosaurs which mm-hmm. are the ones that are like the raptors and the ones that are like a lot oftentimes two legs um mm-hmm. and those are the ones that survived the great extinction right and eventually evolved into birds so all of our birds are from dinosaurs uh there yeah i think so but um, not all dinosaurs became birds. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. That's like right. the common ancestor for for people. Um, how we didn't evolve from monkeys, we evolved from some common ancestor that monkeys also evolved from. Exactly. They just offshoot differently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that sounds completely fine. But I think from what I understood is that there are certain dinosaurs that did exist that were of a, a non-avian group. You have the like for example, you have the sauropods and the theropods, and I'm fair. I'm, okay. I think what I remember, and God, I really should know more about this. If we're talking about it on the show, but uh, the 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 uh, sauropods are the ones that probably didn't evolve into birds, right? Um, and the theropods, I think, were a group that more likely did. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm so indecisive. I just trying to acknowledge that if you want to know more about dinosaurs and this kind of thing, you should go to your local library or the internet and you should actually learn and not trust me uh, <laughs> because I know enough to know that I don't know enough. Wow. So Socratic method right there. <laughs> um, but uh, so, but for example, like there are, there is like stuff that's being done in some of the uh, excavation research and the paleontology research that is, 
showing like there are occasionally little bits of data that they can gather from fossils that show like feather shapes Mm -hmm. and uh like evolutionary steps in feather growth uh even things like skin color they can kind of like predict not like assuredly decide but they can kind of like look at um they have these really big lasers that they use to look at bones that go down super small on the microscopic level uh things like looking they said that they've been able to find i don't know i don't understand how this is possible but that 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 nat geo thing they said they were able to find fossilized blood cells which just seems fucking crazy to me yeah it's uh, it's incredibly crazy um or at least i maybe i maybe i misread it man i'm telling you it's hard to like keep that stuff straight because it's Okay, Nat Geo, if you're listening, you fuck you fucking suck when it comes to laying out a magazine. I don't know how you've done it successfully for so long. Uh, Remember, maybe they were haven't. recently purchased by Fox in like the last two years or but something. Then, they, then Fox was purchased by Disney, so you're 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 you know shitting on the mouse here. Um, I mean, it takes a while for that stuff to trickle down. That's all I'm saying. I bet you they've been owned by Disney longer than they were owned by Fox. I don't know if that's true either. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, what matters is that the the way this article was separated was like it would be two pages of the actual article and then there would be six pages between the the last page of the article and the next page of the article and in between there would be a big graphic spread of like a bunch of different uh, pieces of art that had little tidbits of information that were telling you different things about the the graphics they were showing and then they show you this huge like you turn that page and it would fold out into another three page spread of like dinosaurs on graphs with more data about like all this other different stuff. So like either you you move past all that and you don't read it and you just jump to the next place where the article continues or you do what I did and you just try to read through it like you would page by page and you end up getting all this information that's relevant to the same subject, but it's not related to the same article necessarily. And it just jumbles everything up. Sounds like like analog pop-up video. It it is very much like that. Um, And so, like, there's things in this article that I am, like, I was not having a good time following. But, um, basically, it sounds like there are new predictive models for what certain dinosaurs' uh, plumage looks like. And there's, like, one that's, like, a Chinese raptor of some kind, or, like, a raptor that was found in China, um, and it's got like rainbow colors, like basically, like it's, it's really sort of beautiful. It's not like a cartoon rainbow. It's like, you'll have like a color it's starting from the chest and it'll like spreads out to be more of like a, uh, purple, green, red, like pattern. It's mm-hmm. really kind of, it's really interesting. Or, or, uh, they did some, like, they talked about how they did some, uh, predictive modeling on, how certain dinosaurs could have flown but done it it's so done so more like a flying squirrel flies mm-hmm. where like they climb up something really high find prey and then leap and glide down and control the descent but like essentially it's falling with style and because disney and they like uh and they then they could they could get their prey that way right um so uh, it's really, really fascinating. Interesting. They, they did another thing they showed in a little bit where they talked about how they some scientists somewhere hooked up an ostrich to have like fake wings on its back 
like like robot wings essentially and then they tracked its movement with like motion capture to see how it runs with the wings and how the wings like moved and so that they could figure out how like dinosaurs might have moved you know in in real life it's it's a really interesting like issue Mm -hmm. if it isn't presented a little surface level yeah and and presented poorly um because it goes all over the place man it goes over from talking about like the significance of the more the the spinosaurus discoveries in the last like 10 years um and how important that is to have to show how we're learning about dinosaurs how like the spinosaurus was originally believed to be like a a bipedal like monster and now it's we're figuring out because we're finding more uh you know reliable fossil uh records that it was probably actually like more like a crocodile like it Mm -hmm. would be partially amphibious or it would just be amphibious it would go back and forth between land and water and the way it was shaped is much more like a, a crocodile or an alligator where it would like swim through water on like being being kind of flat right uh, and then the fin would probably give it some like directionality or like capacity to cut through the water faster i don't know maybe it just acted as a cooling uh, mechanism like they suspect stegosaurus spikes were or like right. uh, plates were um who knows but uh, I I was an interesting read if, if it wasn't incredibly illuminating um, if it wasn't rather because I would have liked it to have been considering the book we're reading but uh, I would have liked again to have seen Crichton talk more about maybe that's something that wasn't known 40 years ago when this book came out um, is that like not really all dinosaurs because that, that article does mention a number of times the concept of what they refer to as non-avian dinosaurs. Right. So that is pretty clear to me that that means, you know, not bird. Um, I don't know if you guys speak Latin, but I do. It means not bird dinosaur. <laughs> not bird, terrible lizard. Excellent. Not bird, terrible lizard. Tyrant, lizard, bird. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I think that's the end of my housekeeping. Okay. Are you ready to get into the actual chapters? Let's do it. Well, then that brings us to chapter 30. Fourth iteration, the main road. I have no notes. I have an oh, okay. Uh Kindle page 207. Michael Crichton is doing everything he can to describe the Tyrannosaurus Rex as a living being, which I really enjoyed. He loved, yeah, he loved, one. he loved, um, Commenting on its pebbled skin, its muscular hind legs, its chest moving when it was breathing, four limbs making clawing movements. He really, like, and how big its head was, he really tried to give it a breathing, living life, and I liked that. I think the one problem I had with his descriptions of the attack, though, were the way the Rex didn't seem to give a shit that it, it's, it was wounding itself in the attack. Mm. I don't really know... I can't think of another type of animal that attacks like that and injures itself in the attack with with its injures its mouth. I want to make that very clear. Like you'll have lots of animals hurt themselves while they're fighting uh, and they do it because they fucking feel like they have to. But the mouth seems like the kind of thing where if you bite a cactus or like there's a reason cactuses have evolved the way they have. Right. So the things don't bite them. Mm -hmm. So the things don't eat them. So if you look at the car, essentially like a cactus as a thing that when you bite into it, it causes your mouth to rip apart and bleed. And potentially if you swallowed bits of glass or metal, your insides to rip apart and bleed. 
And while the Rex shouldn't know that implicitly, um, after the first bite, you'd think it'd go, whoa, <laughs> whoa, 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 no, not doing that again. Right. Uh, and it didn't. It has that moment where it stands there, unfortunately, not like a living being, but more like a monster and has blood. You know, I think he says it's something like the blood drips steadily from its mouth mm-hmm. and it was its own blood. It hadn't eaten anybody yet. So that bummed me out because it I, took me that's out. That's fair. Of it. That's fair. Because he had been so adherent to, you know, just being nature gone wrong. And now he's yeah. turning into a monster. And that's a different kind of story. That's fair. Yeah. Trope, um, trope borrowing. Yeah, and and it's it's fine because it's his book and everything. But like, uh just I guess it's a little it's a little bit of a criticism, I guess. Um, which again, I think it works in this story. Just like it takes away, like you just said, from that whole nature gone awry, right? You know, thing. Uh, which he did. Yeah, he had worked pretty hard at establishing and building. Um, and then last is Kindle page two ten. Another Malcolm Goldblum crossover where the text was written. Um, do uh, you have any suggestions? <laughs> and I'm like, did, did did Goldblum as we know it just evolve from from Jeff doing Malcolm completely literally? And he's just like, oh, this is working for me. I will adopt this as my persona going forward. I don't, I don't know. think I that's think the case, but it, it, it's I still kind of. I think you'd have to study pre Jurassic Park Goldblum. It's like what? Buckaroo Bonsai, The Fly. Buckaroo Bonsai, The Fly, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, Death Wish. Yeah. And that's it. Those are the only four movies he was in, period. Which one did he meet Gina Davis on? Was that before Jurassic Park? Uh, probably Girls The Fly. Oh, shit. Can't believe you forgot okay. about Earth Girls. Five, five movies, Transylvania 6, 5,000. Six movies... I feel I feel like Gina Davis was the fly, and then they did Transylvania and Earth Girls, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, anyway, I think you'd have to watch those and really study his deliveries and see if they're his Goldblumisms. Yeah, I guess that's somebody's homework. Oh, shit. Oh, I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> see, it doesn't feel good when somebody just assigns you homework, is it? Well, I mean, I will I will do it, and I won't. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. It's, it'd be a lot of work. For this? <laughs> this is the Goldblum podcast. I'm sure he has uh, one of those. Perfect Jeff Goldblum. He's so cool. Um, My only overview note is, uh, is uh, well, there we have it. The uh, One of the major scenes in the movie. We've, we've read it gone through it it's it's very faithfully written i or, i think or, or faithfully produced in the film i i like the i like so much of what feels so creative and special about the the way the movie looks when you first see it and then being able to see how much of that stuff is just right from the book right you know so many so many movies and books you hear about being unfaithfully adapted or adapted like like we we've you know, like Hitchcock is a big guy who did right. that shit. Who, who would just be like, I don't give a fuck about the book. I just taken that property and I'm going to tell a different story. And it's like, wow, that's not what people want. But this is not that. This is like an ex- for the exception of a few missing characters who you can argue are in the movie, just not as like significant. Right. 
Or amalgamated. Or amalgamated, yeah. Amalgamated. Oh. It's interesting, but, but specifically things like the, uh, like the goggles or the, uh, the, the way, like, the, the Rex attacks and flips the cart into the tree, mm-hmm. like, shit like that. Uh, it, we haven't gotten to that part yet because, but it's, but it's very faithful. Think, but yeah, it's extremely faithful. I mean, it's, it's, and in the ways it's not faithful, it is okay. Right. No, it's, like, it's totally makes sense adaptation wise where they need right. to hurry things along. So they juggle people's emplacement and say, well, yep. this person's also present because they'll just make it snappier. Yep. Totally makes sense. You want to sell it. You want to sell it. Slap it on a lunchbox. What you call a reference. <laughs> I call the rape of the natural world. <laughs> he did it. The crazy son of a bitch did it. <laughs> I've never had Chilean sea bass. It is a thing on my bucket list because of this movie. Well, you know what? I'll tell you what. Nope. You don't need to do this. <laughs> if we get enough Patreon subscribers... We will have a Chilean sea bass dinner. I couldn't. Every time I see that thing in the movie, I think, is that cheddar cheese on the fish or is it carrots? And I can't tell because they show it so briefly. I barely remember, but I'm going to guess it's carrots. I guess it's probably carrots, but I always think it's funny if it could be cheddar cheese. There's like <laughs> just some sharp cheddar shredded on some very expensive fish. It's a craft singles. I, I think this is like a stoner meal. This is just like you had two things. You wanted, you just wanted it, just microwave it, and there you have it. Uh, fish and cheese. There it is. Fantastic combo. Um, yeah, I think that it's a really interesting uh, chapter for us to have started this episode with because it's so big. Like, it's surprising how uh, I feel like our episodes have really like capped the important parts of the. Uh, the movie mm-hmm. like or, or like the, the, I mean, that's the right way to say it I feel like our episodes have really uh, they've left on kind of cliffhangers like it's been interesting to go through yes. them and find like the way that we had them broken up to read really works really well with the way the the book structured narratively and and suspenseful uh, suspense wise I think it's it's a little lucky that we did start the fourth iteration on this episode but maybe that uh, maybe that doesn't have anything to do with it I don't know very true because the trouble is, like, it's all running together. Like, I don't remember where that chapter ends and other things that happen later begin. Sure. So I think I'm just going to go to... That brings us to chapter 31. Return. I have no notes on this chapter. I have no notes on this chapter, too. It was even weird that it was called Return when it could... It, this was a cutback to the control room, right? This was Mr. Arnold and shit? It was like, why didn't they just call this another control? I don't get why this was Return. Nobody returned... It was effectively like a page and a half. No, this is this is it's two pages, but it, it's a. Uh, it's I remember Gennaro, really Harding, sh- and Ellie. It's them. What? Um, yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold the goddamn phone. Let me just look. Go to. Return. Oh. <laughs> Whoops. All right, the first part of it, but then it goes to the control yes. room. Right. It's a, it's an odd little transitionary ch- chapter. It is, but I will say that I totally... 
maybe I hit the page and skipped past this first part because this explains a note I have later. Oh, it does. Yeah, because I'm because uh, I do not remember anything with Gennaro Harding and Ellie here. Okay. So good to know. Thank you. No problem. Okay. That brings us to chapter thirty-two. <laughs> Nedry. My first page note uh, is page one ninety-three. Before we get to that, all right. I want to say. I wasn't concerned about spoilers, so I went and looked up different Jurassic Park maps from various okay. novels, and I found there are two docks. Oh, so I, you, that's my first note. Oh, funny. So you are right. Because there is an east it's, dock it's and actually, a north dock. Yeah, it's mentioned in the book. I didn't, I didn't need to look up maps. I just read the book. Well, I mean, I, I probably read clearly. something, and then I went and researched it and then wrote that down and probably can, proceeded to read... Um, but I was forward thinking. I was proactive. Yeah. You can be reactive. In, that's fine. That's and in fine. doing so, you skipped a whole page of the book, which that's, is fine. That's not, not germane to this story. <laughs> um, has nothing to do with this chapter that we're in. Um, if you will please keep your answers <laughs> germane to the question that was asked. Well, if you Thank would you. keep your notes. If the uh, senator could just notes, please keep. Then I could get to my page 193 notes, which, which is East Doc. See, he was supposed to be he was supposed to head to the East Dock, but not get on the Jurassic Park ship. Instead, get on Dodgson's ship. Um, or my page, my Kindle page two fifteen note is a second boat, Dodgson's. I stand corrected, but now I take that back because you're an asshat. (laughs) No, I don't think you can take back being stood corrected. I I can't take it back. I can, I can, I can take back being corrected, and I'll just be wrong. But you've been correct. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I have another note on page 193. Same Please. page. Okay. There's a quote in the book um, where Nedry's talking about how meticulously he, or reflecting on how meticulously he's planned this thing, mm-hmm. uh, this this heist. And the quote specifically from the chapter is he says he planned for everything except this damn storm. And I, I thought, oh, this is here we go. This is the theme is, is back. Literally it's the, it's chaos. The, it's the, yeah, it's 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 not only ca- it's so beautiful. It's uh, but we see we see it's like Crichton underlining that line is like underlining. This is my point. This is a big part of what I'm trying to communicate through this book is this illusion of control Nedry, you know, talks about with reverence, how much planning he went into, like, you know, constructing these, this, this heist and the the ways to get around certain problems and how, how well he thought he was prepared for this, how confident. Mm -hmm. And then like his, his, all of his, you know, uh, best intentions, um, were, you could argue predictably disrupted by the unpredictability of a complex system like our planet's weather which is exactly the example malcolm gives a hundred pages before sure yeah it's a really Um, good point and it's 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 very it almost feels so obvious that it makes me feel dumb pointing it out because like i think i think it was good that you did for for our for our, for our stupider listeners, I mean, I I knew it. I was right there. 
But for the it's just real one of those things idiots where, like, once, listening, once you see, it's like it's like if you were doing a, uh, it's like if you're doing like a maze, mm-hmm. like a, like you're, you see like on a, on the back of a menu or something. Sure. And once you once you have the, uh, you know, they have adult menus too at restaurants. Yeah, but those don't have chicken fingers and hot dogs. Um, my bet, my okay, my, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but you know, when you do, when you do those. Once you do it, you can't see anything but the right way out. Right. That's how this feels. Like once I saw that and I was like, oh, I get it. This is this is very neatly designed Mm -hmm. so that I can see it, Mm -hmm. which is also kind of ironic (laughs) in, in with the commentary of the book being, you know, be careful if you build a perfect design because chaos will fuck it up. And it's like, here he is building a perfect machine of thought Mm -hmm. so i really liked it i I thought it was it was like if i was gonna if i was gonna write a sixth grade you know book report on this book that would probably be my main point is going over all the times there are allusions to you know this exact thing Mm -hmm. that we we can't we humans convince ourselves that we can control complex systems that are inherently too complex for us to control so our way of processing understanding understanding how chaotic they are and how unpredictable they are is to just say that they're chaos say they're unmanageable say they're too complicated well when in reality it's just there are more variables interacting with the thing we're observing than we can comprehend or calculate natively right it's not that it's too complicated to understand it's just it's too complicated to understand all the time and that's why things that should work can often go awry yeah. Um, so yeah, I uh, I love that shit. I love reading that stuff where it's like, ah, I see it. <laughs> um, it's like it's it's like. Uh, Do you ever hear about how the theory? I don't know if it's a, if it's actually science or if it's theory, but I'll call it a theory to give myself the benefit of the doubt. But the idea that the way ants can find their way into a place or or other bugs too, but ants specifically can find their way like into a house to like get at some food or some garbage or something like that and the reason they follow like a line of of themselves is because they're leaving pheromone scents they're leaving like a trail of of scenty breadcrumbs i don't know if i specifically uh, knew that but i i think i know about ants and pheromones so yeah i'll give it yeah so like even if you kill the first one right there's still a there's still a trail behind it mm-hmm. telling other ants in its colony follow me this way i went this way um and so they'll still keep coming um one time I was in Hawaii with my dad and we were at a uh, a bungalow, not unlike the title of the next chapter, and uh, we bought some pizza and we had it on the countertop and we let it sit like to cool off. And we went and did something else. When we came back, there was a line of ants coming out of the wall, crawling across the wall into the pizza box. They made it in. Yeah. That's gross. Or at least they were surrounding it and trying to get into it. Sure. But yeah, did, you, were, did you eat pizza that night? Um, I feel like it behooves me not to recall. I mean, if they didn't get in, you're, you've got nothing to worry about. It's a simple yes or no question. Uh, I don't recall. Did you eat pizza that night? I don't. I, I my It was a long time ago. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, does everything have to be a goddamn Senate hearing with you? It wasn't the it wasn't necessarily the most important part of the evening that <sighs> night. And it was just so long ago. My. Uh. I, I, I can't recall. Well, I hope it was tasty. Yeah, we really boofed that pizza. 
that's a reference to uh supreme court justice uh brett kavanaugh um right because the right yeah how often he can't recall the times he sexually assaulted women yep he's an awful man everything's good we're good it's all good i've got a note on page 216 kindle page 216 it's right around where you were talking about what i'm still recovering Uh, I just realized at this point in the book that Book Nedry had never been to the park, uh, which I, I knew, but I mean, in reference to this, that oh, makes we it... we talked about this already. In reference to this, I'm having the realization, which makes his plan all the more terrifying because he's uh, yes. never driven these roads before. He couldn't have mapped it out like movie Nedry right. and gotten lost. He's just, oh, this should work out because why? That's... That's all. That's all. That's a whole kind of confidence I have never had, except for that one time I threw the dice into my wife's face. <laughs> that's a specific reference. Yeah. Um, accidentally, though quite foolishly. It was both those things. I was there. <laughs> uh, my last note is page two nineteen. My note is page 196, uh, and it has to do with the attack. So if yours is before Mine's or after a, Mine the has attack, to do with the attack, but you can go first. Uh, okay, mine's pretty simple. It just says uh, it just says that I felt like it was pretty dark. Oh, that's basically um, my note. Nedry's death was a lot more horrific, horrific in the book. Yeah, yeah, really, really horrifying. They took you through it. It was no, it was no modestly chastely even you know panning the camera away and hearing the screams it was like oh we get to experience this damn and it it was there was also no like stick stupid stick (laughs) hey no wonder you're extinct nothing like that like little comedic element because uh that'll make it better yeah it it makes it easier to swallow if you will but my, my thought was uh i also got the feeling that the dilophosaurus is bigger oh way back no it said it was 10 feet yeah yeah, it was, it was not a, it was not a cute scarier. little like it was like what the size of a, a medium sized dog, I thought, in the movie. Yeah. Maybe even a large well, one, but not like a massive dog. Well, there's that line Nedry has in the movie where he says something like, you know, like. You're not as big as your brothers or something like that. He makes a reference to how small it is. Right. Well, that way, because that way you can you're saving the size for the T-Rex. Yeah. And you're but, having like, that's not you're how having the really cute work. little dinosaur. Like, oh, is it a threat or is it not? And then you have the, you know, the the the, the fins pop out and the and the rattlesnake effects. Sure. Um, Sorry. Okay, can you try it again from the top, but a little more sassy this time? Great. We'll let you know. Thank you. It's been an honor. But like specifically, like. Uh, I think the thing that really got to me about how big it was was it the way they, they he wrote in about how it fit Nedry's head in its mouth. Yeah. Or the way Nedry like described or it's he, the description of how it feels having your head in its mouth mm-hmm. uh, is described was really like, wow, that's a big mouth. Well, I mean, this thing is bigger than the second T-Rex that comes up later. The baby? Yeah. Hmm. This is 10 feet tall and that was 8 feet tall. So, I mean, that really gives you an idea of this thing is pretty... I mean, it's sure, not, but, it's not but, a lumbering behemoth, but it's big. Vertical height doesn't necessarily, you know, relate to how large something's mouth is. I mean, look at uh, Fruza Balk. Okay. Hmm. 
Anyway. <laughs> That's my notes for that chapter. And that brings us to chapter 33. Bungalow. My page note is on page 202. Uh, mine's 222. Uh, it's about Hammond. Okay, mine is... I'm going to go first because mine's pretty simple. Okay. Um, they, I think uh, Harding makes a reference that the the compies are heading towards something. And then he sees something... I think he's I think he basically kind of sees in the distance Nedry's car like the Nedry's attack site. And I think the implication I, I took again, this feels stupid saying, but like I took the implication that the compies were heading towards that site to because they could smell the attack. Or yes, smell the blood I, I feel like they were going for the Nedry remains. Yes, that was uh, pretty dark. Again, mm-hmm. it's just like and like seeing the thing that was really dark about it for me was seeing like. A, a parallel to things that we probably do all the time, uh-huh. which is we observe things that we think are interesting or beautiful, but are really part of the grisly nature of nature survival. Sure. Yeah. Um, so like we see like, you know, owls and you're like, oh, that's so cute. But then like you don't see them pick up small rodents and swallow them whole. Right. Um, you know, same with like like other birds of prey like out here. You know, you can you can see eagles and we think they're gorgeous and beautiful because they they have a majesty to them. Right. But they're dinosaurs that are eating things <laughs> and ripping them apart, like, in a way that you would, that we, we, we as humans disconnect from. Sure. Like, we do that too, but we have this disconnect from the way our food is processed to the way we eat it um, that separates us from our, the brutality of nature. Uh, and, and so, like, this is one of those moments that looks like a parallel to that to me. Like him seeing the copies and being like, oh, I'm so curious. It's so interesting. Like, I wonder what they're up to. I don't usually see them do that. And it's like, dude, they're going to go eat a guy. They're going to eat the rest of a guy. That's what they're doing. Some of my favorite people eat guys, though. It's fine. All right. Um, What was your note? Uh, I really loved Hammond doubling down on the only real problem with Jurassic Park is he was missing out on his glory. Yeah. It's fucking it was such up. a good just character moment of just like. I, 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 I felt if it, it makes you feel like Malcolm because you're I can see all the problems how this is going to fail because you're not paying attention you're not covering your bases, it it you fucking idiot. Well, even more on that is that we uh, the audience have already seen two attacks. Yes, from the dinosaurs, so we already know that it is much more dangerous and much more uh, scary out there than he's that he's being responsible for and and it's it's especially telling that like how it's, it's a beautiful place for this moment in his in the book because it, it does exactly that because we see the things that he can't see so what we see in that totality is that he can't see mm-hmm. and and the significance of him not being able to see these things are because of his short-sightedness because of his inability to comprehend the complexity and the danger of what it is he's doing his grandchildren might be dying right and he is so preoccupied with his own self-gratification that he doesn't care that he can't care right um because he's too wrapped up in his own ego and it's it's a fantastic even when they're the smartest people in the world arguably in his world sure are there telling him dude this is fucked we're fucked it's getting gonna get worse it's gonna be real bad and i'm telling you there's things we could do to make it better and he's like no I don't care. I want to see my park open. 
he's he's an anti-masker. He's a person who's too selfish and like, uh, you know, self-absorbed to take care of other people. Right. Um, and arguably invents his own uh, issue to fight against to right. help also bolster his feeling of winning or defiance or yeah self gratification he, he that's what he really cares about he doesn't, doesn't his own narrative yeah yeah he doesn't care about the only thing the supreme is significant object in his life is finishing his park so he can see it in in the glory he invested in right it's like when people really really want to go to a hockey tournament or when people really really want to go to spring break motorcycle rally motorcycle rally yeah um, any number of different things that people refuse to give up for the safety of themselves and others. Right. It's uh, despicable. That's a good word yeah. for it. Do you have any notes? Are there notes in that chapter? Uh, a couple. I'm clear. So you go ahead. Okay. So this one, I t- actually took a note on, let's see if I need to read it. I mean, I, I highlighted the, the text is what I'm saying. I found this passage... Okay, this is on Kindle page 223. I found this just a little creepy. Um, and that was Hammond giving Maria's pedigree. The girl serving the ginger ice cream. Oh, yeah. He just went... Uh, Hammond finished his ice cream, and Maria silently took the dish away. She's not from here, you know, he said. She's Haitian. Her mother is French. And then he goes back to his conversation. I'm like... What? She's exotic. I mean, they already had the other guy oogling her, and it was just, I guess it was him cannily observing the other man's interest, but it was just, it was very weird. I didn't, I don't know, it was it was very weird. That's all I had. That's all I've got for it. It's very weird. Yeah, I can't, I know that this feels like it's a trope I've read before, but this idea of, like, it's a classism thing. To, to be like so wealthy that the people you can select the people you hire to take care of you. So um, he was. Yeah, OK, OK, that that at least he's that bragging. Least, yes, he's bragging the way he was about the sea bass or the dinosaurs or the, or the computers cream. or the ice cream. OK, OK, look at my clout. I've got she's French Haitian. Nothing but the yes. best and super she, creepy, but it makes more sense. And that helps. She's me. so she's so good. She doesn't even have to. She doesn't even speak. She right. knows her place so well right. that she doesn't even speak okay. in my presence. That actually helps me. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Because I could not, um, I couldn't wrap my head around like, why was this included? But that is very okay. Cool. Hey, man. Anytime you need help thinking like a monster, come to me. <laughs> um, and then my last note is no longer a note, which is where's Gennaro? Gennaro. Oh, he's there. Because they had this whole scene in the beat in, in the jeep. And he's never mentioned. What was he left behind? Uh, should have should have read better. <clears throat> That's on me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just going back to that note about the about the the Haitian woman, Maria. Um, she has Maria, a name. I I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, I can't think of what it is, but it reminds me of like. You know those you ever see those fucking movies, those really creepy like Michael Douglas movies, like the like the ones that are all all you know what I'm talking about. Like he did he did a lot of them. Oh yeah. <laughs> but the ones that are like these weird like sexual thrillers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um 
I feel like I, I remember seeing one. I don't remember what it's called. The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, maybe. He was not in that. That was Rebecca de no, Mornay. That's and... what I'm thinking of. Okay. But it's it's in it's one of those kind of movies that I think of as a Michael Douglas <laughs> that's movie. Fair. That's completely um, I see what you're saying. Yes, it's spun out of the whole basic instinct fatal attraction yes. thing. Yes. Yes. Um that crazy person the, uh, I'm in over my head. Yes. The one with Demi Moore, the, uh, that's another the other one. Demi um, Moore shit. Yeah, that one's really that one's is stuck in my head what, and I always forget she its in? name. She's in the one where they're like both lawyers or something, and she sexually entraps oh, him. Oh, 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 disclosure! Yes, yes, yes. For disclosure. Yes, I was, yes. I was thinking about her in like the Annabella Shiora role from Hander Rocks a Cradle, but she was the villain. Yes, disclosure. Okay. Yes, yes. So, uh, and then there's, and then there's Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Um, this sequence reminds me of the of that of the 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 premise that always leads into the downfall of the the masculine bad guy in those movies who's also almost always the protagonist. So he's not really the bad guy, right. but he is, um, he, uh, he, in the way that where it's like that, that leering, that objectification, mm-hmm. that like, uh, feeling of like power and superiority because you're in a higher position. You're, you have, a, you have an advantage of position over this person, uh, in hand that rocks the cradle. I think it's their nanny, right? Right. And it's the same thing. It's this like there's a person you've literally hired to work for you and you be, and because you get to choose who works for you, you can select essentially like in this weird sort of like like uh, like unnatural like like it's not the right word. Uh, I know that there's another word that's not natural selection that means like deliberate selection. Well, but she's creating her own environment. So what you kind of mean? No, he is. I'm saying he's creating his own environment because he's he's selecting deliberately who's who works for him. I was I was and saying in Hand Rocks the Cradle, she was hiring the nanny. Oh yes. No, I'm I'm Sorry. saying yes. I'm saying with Hammond, he's selecting this woman because of these reasons. Yes. And it's physical, it's it's background, it's the it's the all the things he values about having that position are why he's bragging to Woo about it. West Indian Lilac all over again. Yeah, you ha- yeah, exactly. Well maybe less poisonous um, oh, we don't know maria's backstory i would that's the spinoff i want um, <laughs> you don't know what else is in that ginger ice cream how fucking awesome would it be at the end of the book for maria to run off with dodgson and be like um, did it work and he's like we'll find out or something like that <laughs> that would that would be amazing um anyway uh yeah sorry that's i'm done with that chapter i, I just i didn't want to leave that idea because i think again i think i think there's a lot we can read into about the sinister nature of john hammond mm-hmm. and these are all clues and they're it's really well written <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I feel dumb saying it again but it's, just, it's really well written I, I i completely agree and it, it makes me curious about the lost world again um because that was specifically i mean clearly clearly michael Crichton had something to say with this book yes and that one he was told and go do this so we can have a movie well, I think that brings us to chapter 34. Tim? Uh, I only have an overview. Um, so, Kindle page 227. We finally get the vomit backstory. The vomit backstory? Didn't, didn't Tim in the movie go, I threw up? And Grant was like, that's okay. Well, now yeah. you, get to, you get to see him throw up. You get to see all that pathos of vomit happen. Awesome. So great. I mean, doesn't it enrich your experience? It's thrilling. Uh, two thirty four. I, I I know what I was. I know what I'm 
getting at when I wrote this. I know it was a little tongue in cheek when I wrote it and I feel bad having written it. Um, but my note is not all dinos. And I don't remember exactly <laughs> what it means. Is it reference to the Stegosaurus that he throws a rock at? Uh, no, not all dinos. The um, Not all the dinosaurs have the frog DNA in the printout. Yes. Yes. So not all of them can breathe. That's just that was just interesting to me. That was one of those slightly yeah. more complex issues in the books. And it seems like the ones that can breed are avian. Interesting. At least for the most part, from what I understand of what those all look like, they're all bipedal. Well, look uh, at you, Doctor Grant. Turkey, turkey-looking dinosaurs. Yeah. Is that the end of your notes? That's the end of my notes. Uh, I have an overview that just says uh, Tim descends the tree. We discover the breeding dinosaurs have frog DNA, which you just said. Uh, <laughs> I, I like Muldoon. My note here is Muldoon is pissed that the emergency radios weren't charged. <laughs> I did laugh at that. Thought about making a note because that was fucking perfect. Yeah. Like, again, it's it's but it's important because it's underlining the exact theme of the book. It's another moment that underlines this idea of like we have these emergency radios for an emergency but all the planning of having emergency radios goes out the fucking window if you don't bother to charge them so that when there's an emergency, they're ready. Yep. God damn it, guys. <laughs> like, it's, that's how it feels. I can't, I can't, I'm, I, like. I, I came from a, from a different angle. I love your, you're pointing out the underlining because I, I didn't catch those and that's great. And I think it's fantastic. But I just came at it from a, of course, because that's what happens every time in any it's, kind of. It's the. A technical work environment that's always that whoops <laughs> guess um, we're fucked it's, it's, it's the best laid plans of mice and men it's mm. um, it's exactly that that is the theme of the fucking book mm-hmm. and it's it's really fascinating to see all these little ways he was clever enough to put them in the book mm-hmm. I, I did note here though that I am interested in this idea that the movie didn't explain in that only a few of the dinosaurs had frog DNA and therefore only a few species can breed. I think the movie just, it, it was a shorthand where just all the dinosaurs can, all the dinosaurs can breed. Well, We're moving on. It's, it's also more fascinating. Like the, it's uh, all of the dinosaurs being able to breed ups the whimsy. Sure. Ups the, ups the wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, only predatory, fast cheetah speed monster dinosaurs being able to breed is fucking terrifying in a book. Yes, but not the T-Rex, but you, right? But if you can, if, if you want to be able to have a big visual spectacle of a bunch of dinosaurs breeding, that's going to be a bigger deal in the movie than it is in the book. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to me. Sure, absolutely. Uh, anyway, that brings us to chapter 35. Lex. My page is 212. I've got nothing. Um, there's a line on 212 where uh, they're talking about, like, or, or I think it's... Uh, Ed, Ed Regis mm-hmm. is talking about how he's been hiding un, by a tree for a while in the rain and he realizes he's covered in leeches mm-hmm. and he, he references, uh, he's talking, describing leeches and he says something like, they like to crawl right up here and then he goes, hello. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the way it's structured in the book is he just said, it, like his internal thoughts are, they like to crawl up here and then he says aloud, hello. And I thought that's, that's too much. That's too Paul Lind. That's uh, that's. I've got something squiggly on my face. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
Yeah, I love it. For our it. 65 it and really older hard. listeners. <laughs> yeah. You're the greatest generation of listeners we have. Uh, I also have an overview, which is that Ed Regis's death is sad and pathetic. It was. Really sad. Really <laughs> sad to read. Like him being like, hey, cut it out. Like, and then, <laughs> oof. It, it just was. It was like, interesting to not have just a quick chomp on the on the on the um, on the toilet, which also was pathetic in its way. But it was interesting to have the smaller dinosaur, that's only eight feet tall, uh, play with him. It it was. I think it was a mix of like one. It's just tragic, but yeah. it's also pathetic in the sense that he's he's kind of like he's not getting that he's been being fatally toyed with. Not only that, but it's like he also is completely powerless. So he's he's kind of like he's like impotent. Mm-hmm. Like he can't he there's nothing he can do to make himself like strong enough or virile enough or you know masculine or macho enough to beat this predator. Mm-hmm. And even the things he's doing that are like his best attempts at it are just pathetic. Like they just like you can tell it's all that it's like the best thing thing he has in his toolkit to survive is going, "Hey, stop that. I mean it." And it's like, "Oh, fucking A, dude." Like like um, it's the kind of thing where like I I'm not saying like I'm some sort of like prime specimen of masculinity, but it just like reading that made me feel real bad for him. <laughs> uh absolutely. Um I also an imagery that had not occurred to me, but makes total sense when you consider the the structure of the uh, T Rex, even the small one, was that it kept saying it pounced, and yes. I kept imagining those like muscular legs. I'm like, oh, this thing is flying through the air at him. That's terrifying. Even though it's that eight foot, you know, small version, and and not the monster monster, that thing is just like, just having a massive T Rex leaping at you. That is scary. And then the death happens so quickly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is a T-Rex that's basically raptor size. Yeah. A little bit bigger than raptor size. A little bigger, yeah. Pretty rough. Hagrid size. (laughs) Baby dolphin size. (laughs) Baby dolphins, right. Uh, That brings us to chapter 36. Control. I have no notes on this chapter. I've got 245, Kindle page, 245. They talk about the code. Okay. And then, and then he describes it and he says, code, the line by line instructions that tell computers how to behave. I just found that really charming in that describing old things that we all kind of know about now. And I actually have a note that comes back to this later, but I'm just like, that's eh, fun. Yeah. It's fun seeing him do that. It's also important, I think, to remember that in terms of thematic parallels, code is the same as DNA. Like code is to computers what DNA is to organic life. You're really good at that part of it. Which part? The uh, underlining the thematic resonance of the novel. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, I don't have a joke. Um, That's okay. I'm just the, here uh, for the pollen. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, one of my first impressions when I was five. So that's it's going, a great that's impression. Going old school. <laughs> I don't even know if it is, but thank you. Um, the uh, 
I mean, if you have to have like a handful of impressions in your in your wheelhouse, I think having a Paul Lind is really important. I just want you to imagine like a six year old me running around thinking I'm the bee's knees doing a Paul Lind impression, which was way out of date even then. Oh, I'm sure that oh, there was a lot of adults around you going like, "What the? Fuck? Oh, I guess you shouldn't expect grandchildren." <laughs> <laughs> like, like the my um, two favorite things to watch were Charlotte's, Charlotte's Web. Web, yeah. And Rich Little, A Night of 42 Stars. Oh, wow. Which included a Paul Lynn impression, among 41 others. See, for me, it was it was Charlotte's Web. Uh-huh. And uh, Bewitched. Bewitched, actually, was a little bit later for me. When we finally yeah, got Cable was, and I got was, Nick at Night, and I was just, then, yeah, oh my same. god. Dobie Gillis, My Three Sons, all the shit. Oh, for me, it was Happy Days, mm. I Love Lucy, and Bewitched. Nice. I watched the fuck out of those shows. <laughs> but I mean, come on, Bewitched is hands down way better than Dream of Genie, right? I, I think, unfortunately, yes. I mean, I, I Dream of Genie has this awesome element in that it involves, like, the United States Air Force and, and, and ostensibly NASA. Um, and yeah. that's fun and sure. kind of cool. But, like, to, I don't know, it just, like... There's also this whole like concubine aspect of Genie that felt like it, it's it's that same problem I have with um, Weird Science. Yeah, where it's absolutely the, it's it's the literal objectification of a fantasy woman. Right. It's Dobby and all over again. It's what Dobby all over again. She wants to be your servant. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's that stuff where it's like, but she doesn't really have autonomy, does she? Uh this is kind of fucked up. <laughs> I mean, you're also one of those people who like the monsters over Adam's family. So, well, I haven't really seen the Adam's family that much, but I, I the show's actually the not that great. And, and if you were just comparing shows, it would probably throw my argument out of the water. Well, the concept of the Adam's family is way stronger. What I can say is that Paul Lind is in the monsters. God damn it. Is he playing uncle Arthur? No, he, no, it's not the same character. That'd be amazing. Plays, right? Mon- monsters. That Bewitch would be I would watch that. I would watch the um, hell out of that. No, he plays uh, Herman's doctor. I can see it. And he, he's like nearsighted. So every time he sees him and he shakes Herman's hand, he says something like, I mean, it's your dog's going to have to wait outside. I don't have a fucking Paul Lind, okay? I don't it's, have one. It's, okay. it's not important for me to have one. Oh, Charlotte. <laughs> um, the... <laughs> um, Anyway, uh, yeah, I think that we've covered talking about Nick at Night. Um, <laughs> do you have any more notes in Chapter 36? I don't. That brings us to Chapter 37. Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Uh, yep, yep. My page note is on page 222. <sighs> so I'm just going to do this first one because it's a bullshit note. 246. Okay. Oh, I guess Gennaro came back with Ellie. <laughs> I know, I know, I missed a section. I'm sorry. Go yep. ahead. My next two notes are about Muldoon. My first note's about Muldoon. Go for it. Uh, here, Muldoon reflects that people are usually usually expect gory, horrific scenes when they see the site of an animal attack, but says there's, quote, hardly anything left behind, end quote. And I, I think that I wrote, <laughs> that's cool and all, but you literally just found a whole leg below the <laughs> knee sitting on the side of the road remember remember when the blood from the from the stump 
poured down your hands. It was like all over your hands and it just kept pouring out. I think he's he Michael Crichton is trying to assuage the audience's uh, fear of Muldoon misunderstanding the scenario. Having seen that leg, he's like, no, 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 but I'm I'm using my tracker since it's now looking at the empty car, and I'm like, uh, you know, it's it's. I'm real. saying if you if you if you see an animal attack and there's a <laughs> lower half of a man's leg and and a bunch of blood pours out of the hole all over your hands, yeah, that's that's horrific. Okay, well, <laughs> that qual- qualifies as horrific. Both of these talking points cover my two notes, which are. Hold on, I'm not done. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, go for it. I might be done, but my, my point, I was just, just reiterating that it just seems odd that we'd see the exact thing he says people <laughs> expect to find, but never find <laughs> like that, that in and of itself is kind feels like weird writing. It's chaos, baby. It, it just, it just is like, wait a minute. Am I eating this cake? <laughs> Okay. Anyway, what's your Muldoon note? Okay, well, it's probably going to launch us right back into this discussion, but uh, I am here for Muldoon's practicality about transporting body parts. Completely <laughs> just, just like, nope, this is what we're going to do. Um, also, uh, I loved seeing Muldoon uh, get to shine as a tracker. It was like watching a deleted scene. Yeah. Um, but apparently uh, didn't like it. So it's fine. I, didn't, I felt that I didn't like it. I just there was this one specific aspect of how he was describing it that it was just fucking ba- ass backwards. It was like it was just wrong. He's literally doing. It's like it's like someone being like flying an airplane and being like, you know, there's a reason we've never evolved to learn how to fly. And you're like, wait, what? Why are you saying that? We're doing it right. We're, we're doing, but we're doing that thing. You make it sound like you don't want us to be doing that thing, but you're the one making us do that thing. Why would you do that? Why are you saying this? I'm freaking out now. Our lives are in your hand and you've got existential fingers. Nice. Um, I, I also like here. This, I only I have an overview for the rest of the chapter. Do you? Have, okay. Nope. Well, one thing I want to just go back to what you said a little minute bit ago about being here for Muldoon handling the body parts. I, I really I don't remember if it's in the next chapter, or if it's in this chapter. But wherever it is, when Muldoon and, and Sadler reconnect, and he's holding the bundle under his arm, and, and she's just sort of looking at it, and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> "What's that? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Not a big deal. It's a just imagine it's a a, a, a meatball sub. Yep. Just big, imagine big meatball sub. Now go be a nurse, woman. <laughs> Are we gonna talk about that at all? You can, I guess. I mean, that just. A I mean, possible if you want to get hypersensitive, if you want to get hypersensitive about it, you can also say that it's sexist that she's into flowers. I mean, all these things. Every every time I want to come up and like pigeonhole him that way, he then Michael Crichton spins out a different way and like, oh, but am I just commenting on men behaving this way? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I think that I think that this is a really good book for highlighting how sensitive we are to a thing and how important I think we in our society find it to announce that we are sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas that isn't actually that helpful or sure. productive. Uh, but I think that a lot of really sensitive people have trained us to be that way mm-hmm. uh, because they're telling us being otherwise being anything else is being 
part of the problem. And I right. think that we might be swinging in a different direction. I think we might be swinging back to correcting by being like, oh, you know what? I actually was just announcing that I, I was I was just announcing that the sky was falling. Right. And it kind of is. But how good is it for me just to be the guy who's out there making sure everyone knows that I can see the sky is falling? Or is there something I can do about the sky falling that mm-hmm. doesn't require me to get a bunch of attention every time I bring it up? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. Like this is it's a I think it's a really interesting way to read this because I think that there's an element of you could read that stuff into it. But is it really there? Is it the book or is it you? Right. And I don't mean just you. No, I, mean I, I, no, I totally reader. understand. I totally understand. Well, especially when, you know, you front loaded it with his him being married many times that gets certainly I was predisposed to think of him as a specific way. Right. And then every time I start to paint a picture of him, he'll do something that undercuts it. And I'm like, but everything else has been incredibly on purpose in this book. So is that too? Does that mean I have to reevaluate? Maybe I shouldn't prejudge things. Maybe I should. Well, okay. So I just watched the brood yesterday. Okay. For the first time, Dave, uh, uh, Cronenberg's the brood. Mm -hmm. And it's been a long uh, time since I've seen it. Okay, well, the, essentially the premise is uh, it's the story of a conflict between between a, a father uh, and his uh, his ex-wife uh, over the control of their daughter. Yes. And apparently it, it's a story that he, he in, in the way he does in his like very horrific, very body horror style, like uh, of, of writing and, and artistic expression, uh, really sort of like monsterifies the process of giving birth and i was watching the commentary and looking at some of uh, some of the other stuff on there uh, about the movie and in it people talk about uh there's there's some commentary about it this is its perception and the way it was perceived and the idea being that like it's a very misogynistic film because it's demonizing the process of life giving it's demonizing birth it's basically saying that uh being a woman is in and and the power of life giving is is sort of monstrous and how women take that power and then they like use it and feel like they have all this like you know autonomy over over the joint life that they've created with with men and men you know they deserve better or they don't deserve to be you know cut out from that you know process something like that uh and Cronenberg apparently I, I don't know a lot about the specifics of that case but from what I, I read and, and and saw uh he vehemently fought against that interpretation and his argument was hey guys literally my this happened to me <laughs> my crazy ex-wife kidnapped my kid and I had to go rescue I had to go get my kid back for my crazy ex-wife so I just turned that real life experience into a fucking horror story um I'm not saying anything about women specifically, but this thing happened to me. I'm talking about my experience. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm my creativity bred through in this way. So I can't say that's the thing about art though, is that the way it it works is those people who are interpreting this misogyny in that story aren't really wrong. Mm -hmm. Like you can say, Oh man, I really interpreted this as being very misogynistic. I really when I when I see this movie, it reminds me of all the times I've experienced misogyny or experienced prejudice or experienced bigotry. I've really felt it when I watch this movie. But then that when you take it that step further, that's the step I feel like you keep teetering on with Crichton to attributing it to a demonization of the author themselves. That's 
precarious. Sure. Yeah. Um, That's how it feels reading this. Right. So um, I think that it's good that you are noticing it, though, that you're noticing both. Sure. That you like feel like you or, or you feel all these these pull towards being like, oh, I don't like the way he's writing women. And then also being like, but what about this other way he's writing? Well, women? and a lot of it comes back to my preconceived notion and realizing that right. it was a preconceived notion. And I'm still having even though I can see that it was a preconceived notion, it's still driving some of my thought process, which is very weird. Yeah, I feel you, man. So I just, yeah, I just don't know. Uh, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know enough about the guy to tell you that I think you're on the right track or not. I just know that not, I don't feel like I'm on uh, the track at all. I feel like I'm foraging through the jungle. Well, make sure you follow the road. Right. I'll keep clear of the moors. Tell you that. But when it's the attack stammering. comes, it won't be from the front. It'll be from the women on the sides. Right. The clever <laughs> I girls. Really expect- I really expected you to say it'll be from the two werewolves you didn't even know were there. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Why are we mincing words? <laughs> okay. I, I I have one overview note, and it's just that uh, I like that they – because I'm – I don't know. I, I, I like the Ian Malcolm character a lot, and I really like that they found him – on the side of the road, having saved his own life mm-hmm. by tying his own tourniquet up. Right. Even though he's passed out and in a lot of pain. Oh my god, yeah. And probably that, wouldn't that survive ankle very long. Is he, just spinned off to the uh. But he has he has enough presence of mind to be like, take the belt off, tie off the leg, uh, stop the blood flow as much as possible, and hope someone comes and gets me. Uh, I just really like that. I like that he his it's almost again. It's like his superior intelligence has saved him. Mm-hmm. His his capacity to be kind of cool under pressure has saved. Even when he ran out of the car, it wasn't like the first thing he did. Right. It was like, oh, now is the time when I either run or I die, and he chose to run. Right. Um. Just like him. I just yeah. like the character. Yeah, it's great. All right. Well, then that brings us to chapter thirty-eight. Control. I have an overview. That's it. I have one note and. This is back to um, Crichton talking about computers. I really like the description of uh, tracking Nedry through the computer. It's right. v- very old-fashioned like everything else has been. But um, it also shows the kind of the behind-the-scenes of hacking. Like he goes so into depth of just the process and, and the things one would have to do that it gives you kind of, even though it's so old school and old technology, it gives you an overview of what that entails. Whereas nowadays in a movie or a TV show, when they're talking about hackers, they just go, Oh, hackers did some hacker shit. They're in. And this, this was like, Oh no, he had to do this and this and this. And the thing tried to kick him out, but he's like, no, I want to be. And I just, I enjoyed that. Just, it's like a, it's like a piece of antique furniture. It's really well made. You're saying, you enjoyed Michael Crichton's expert, dis- thrilling description of a really not exciting thing more than Hack the Planet? I would never disparage Hack the Planet. You know that. I'm not talking about <laughs> the seminal classic hackers. No, I'm talking about like this, this, the CSI it's that a kids have these file, days. <laughs> Want to hack one of those Gibsons, baby? Mmm! <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I'm running through the quotes I know from that movie, and there's they're all they're like fragments. I need some frog DNA to to put them back together. 
pool on the roof must have a leak. I'm sorry. You want to cause a, a worldwide ecological disaster and pin it on some hacker kid? Basically, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, was that your Paula Poundstone? Uh, no, that was my Lorraine oh. Bracco. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, from Medicine Man and later uh, The Sopranos. And of course, you know, Casino right. or whatever the fuck. I don't know she's in one of those movies. I just movies. couldn't tell which character you were doing. My name is The Plague, you hapless techno weenie. Uh, uh, Mr. The Plague? Now, that was my very bad... <laughs> Pendulette? <laughs> Pendulette, yes. Okay. This isn't the Hackers Podcast. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Um, remember, dude, 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 dude. <laughs> One more dude out of you. You almost let the shit out of you, okay? Um, I think I'm done. <laughs> okay. Okay. Great movie. Uh, you come to Death Readers, I hope you, you screw get the slower most topical type. references. What? I hope you screw slower than you type. I just love how his typing screw... slows down. I hope you screw faster than you reference. <laughs> <laughs> With the magic of editing, anything's possible. Um, once again, our references on this show, the most topical, we'll talk about uh, the classic Paul Lind. Yep. Um, and Nick at Night shows yep. from 50 to 60 years ago and the 90s box office bomb hackers. I love that movie. I also liked that scene. I just wanted to clarify the, the scene in the book we're talking about. Sure. Um, the idea, the way that he wrote, he wrote hacking in a way or like, not, it's not even hacking, but like just computer jargon lingo in a way that was like i was following along and i was like yeah that's how you would backtrack yeah, yeah. i can see the command here i can read the command i kind of know what that command's doing i can guess it like mm-hmm. it was in a way that was probably really dumbed down for actual computer engineers sure. but like sure. for me it was very easy to follow yeah my overview is that the movie never explains what the white rabbit object is mm. uh they just say whatever it did it did it all i think is the line right. um it's it's nice to see how it was the trap door code that let Nedry take over the whole park. And it's fun to see other characters work out how it happened for themselves. Uh, I really like that the characters, the book keeps around that the movie edited out like Wu and Regis. Mm-hmm. Cause these are the moments they really get to do stuff. Right. Um, that like you said, got amalgamated into the other characters that we know from the movie. Uh, but like, even Arnold here has seems like like he's active. The things he's doing are more active than they are in the film. Yeah. Um, and that's really exciting to watch. I don't even know if they reference that he's African-American. You mentioned in the last episode that uh, you were taken aback by the couple times Crichton referenced uh, black men. Right. But I don't think that's what happened with Arnold. I don't know. It Arnold wasn't. I used, a, I used, a, I used a um, hypothetical. I used a hypothetical to describe. Um, it would make sense if he had, if he had, if Arnold was, as played by Sam Jackson, if he was described in the book as black, if Crichton had used some description to call him black just so we understood Arnold as a character, that would make more sense than just saying these two guys were black. But right. he didn't. I feel like Arnold, if not described as a white, I have no... I would believe that Crichton wrote him uh, as a as a white person. I don't know if he specifically said that, but I don't have any reason to believe he's a person of color. I haven't read anything in the book that indicates any any nationality or of anything or any way. Um, I, I don't, and if I did, man, I fucking missed it. Um, but I, 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 w- I 
in my head, he's Sam Jackson. Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah, just absolutely. reading him as Sam Jackson. Yeah, absolutely. 100% he is Samuel L. Jackson in my head as well. Well, that brings us to chapter 39. In the park. I have page 234. I only have one note that I even write a page number down. So why don't you go ahead? Page 234, uh, I guess Grant and Sadler are not an item. There it is. That's my note. <laughs> Ellie, not Mary um, Grant. I scrawled frantically. Ellie, not Mary Grant. Yeah. Ellie, not Mary Grant. Because you were all messaging me like, are you ready yet? I'm like, I'm still fucking reading. Go. So um, I wrote Ellie, not Mary Grant. It's funny, though, that Ellie, not Mary Grant, because <laughs> um, because I had forgotten until this moment that one of the most disappointing things about uh, Jurassic Park 3. Yep. Is that sh- is that she and Grant are not together, and that she has a kid with another guy, right? And that 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 was a really like powerful moment for me in the movies because it's like, oh, he he doesn't want kids, but she does, and that does that means they don't work out, right? I thought that was really fascinating as a like realization, if you will. I don't mm-hmm. know. It was like a mature thing to think about when you're watching a movie that's called Jurassic Park Three. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, it uh yeah, and then this just reminded me of that. So yeah, I guess they're not an item, but I yeah. man, I could swear they were describing things earlier as if I they didn't, were. And I wasn't getting that, but I was assuming I was just missing stuff that you were reading with your uh, high powered perception. Maybe you should turn that on yourself. Okay, Tom. Hmm. Thomas Harris. God, you got me. You yeah yeah got me. I wasn't even looking. Maybe you should turn your high power. Um, <laughs> That is rather slippery of you. Agent I, I Starling. <laughs> uh, I only have an overview now. I just wanted to do Hannibal Lecter lines. Let's fall in. <laughs> Amputate a man's leg and he can still feel it tickling. <laughs> Where will it tickle you? I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. It's <laughs> <laughs> our silliest show. Maybe. Um, I only have an overview. Do you have any other notes? I have no more notes. I, I think my, my last overview note is just that I felt like that chapter, for some reason, I just wrote, this is just fun. This is just a fun read. It isn't boring. Like, I'm not finding myself... Like, I, I, there, was a, there was a little dip, I think, a couple episodes ago where I was sure. like, uh, let's go. But, like, it, even this stuff, like, it's so strange because I'm very familiar with this material. Mm-hmm. But even reading it, I'm just like, oh, my God, I just want to keep reading. I just <laughs> want to keep reading this book. I just keep want to want to read more of this book. Well, and a, um, a, a, Go ahead, sir. I just we haven't had that. We just no, I haven't had yeah, that absolutely. in a long time. I think it's very fun that a um, or a, a powerful concept for me is uh, it's very fun, but can be deeper if you want it to. It's there. Well, it's deeper whether or not you want it to be. It's well, but I'm saying, but the- you 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 can you don't have to pursue that if you want you can just enjoy it sure. for the fun or yeah you can keep exploring it and it will keep it'll keep being there for you and be like oh let's go yeah uh you have any more notes i have no more notes 
that brings us to a new word alert. First word. Concomitant. Damn it, that was mine. Was it? Yes. All right, well, what is it? Well, I mean, I can read it to you. Okay, we'll do it. Um, accompanying, especially in a subordinate or incidental way. Something that accompanies or is collaterally connected with something else. The drug's okay, risk increased with a concomitant <laughs> use of alcohol. All right. That was, that was one I wrote down, too, because I'm like, I don't know what that is. And now all we right, know. Ready for the next one? I am, because that's that's all I had. All right, here we go. Billet. Say it again? Billet. Billet? I'm getting... <sighs> Would you like me to spell it? Is it B-I-L-L-I-T? No. Oh. B-I-L-L-E-T. I'm getting something military from it like something you might That's have correct in the military the way you would have some kind of gear like is it a term for gear it's that that's as best as i can do all right uh it's a noun okay archaic a brief letter or a note which oh. is not how i read it um second definition an official order directing that a member of a military force be provided with board and lodging, as in a private home. That's what I... Yes, because I've heard of soldiers being billeted, I think. Right. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Okay, but I mean, that's, I, I encountered that so long ago, I would not have come up with it. And I was actually... I was thinking, like, you know, the contents of a bag kind of thing. Right. Like, like the emergency kit from uh, Dr. Strangelove, so... Pretty, pretty, yeah. pretty tenuous knowledge of that word. Go ahead. All right, last one. Coxcomb. <laughs> Coxcomb. I know it's. I know it's used in Much Ado About Nothing, and I think it might be the word for the this the swanky floppy hair of a rooster. Like you know, like in uh, like in like in Rockadoodle when Chanticleer had like his floppy Elvis coxcomb on top of his head. No, it, no uh, it is a noun. Okay. Uh, well, I, hold on. Mm -hmm. The second definition, which is the one I read it as, is a garden plant of the amaranth family grown for its flowers. Oh, the amaranth, of course. And there is another version that is not what I read it as, which is a noun that is a jester's cap adorned with a strip of red. Mm-hmm. Or a fool, a, a conceited, foolish person. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's it, is it? That's what, that's what my internet says. Do you have different, more insightful internet? According to Wikipedia, comb anatomy is a, roost, a rooster can have a large red comb. A comb is a fleshy growth or a crest on the top of the head. Its alternative name, coxcomb, because a rooster is also known as a cock. The cock's comb Coxcomb, Chanticleer. Well, that that may that may work if you're just speaking phonetically. Uh, That's where the word I'm came from. I'm and assuming the, the thing totally you're related to the gesture cap says says C O C K apostrophe S C O M B. Uh, 
No, it's all run together when no. it when it when 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 its alternative name Coxcom is all one word. Okay, that's not what I was uh, finding. So, and uh, I'm not going to accept it because it's not part of what, what are you I talking was about. Reading. You can't just um, will it into not being. I mean, you can't will it into being either. I can. <laughs> um, cool. Well, next time on Death Readers. We're going to read through, uh, I'm not sure what the chapter numbers are, I mean, I, I mean, aside from starting at 40, but we're going to read through Control. Again. The, ne- the next Control, the Control that comes after in the park. Uh, control all the way through, dang it. Better not be Control. Control all the way through Tyrannosaur, which is butted up next to another Control. <laughs> um so control through tyrannosaur okay all right uh you have anything else you'd like to talk about i don't think i do well then i believe that was death readers i'm doug i'm rob thanks for listening thank you if you've enjoyed this podcast please rate and review on apple Podcasts and follow us on podbean these reviews might seem silly but they actually help us out a lot Check us out on Twitter, at RealDeathReader. If you want more Death Readers content, there's more available by joining Death Readers Patreon at www.patreon.com slash deathreaders. If you hate us and want to tell us how terrible we are, please send all hate mail comments to our Reddit account, you slash deathreaders. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, In that case, um, (laughs) I will form my own solo project called Wings, and you will be assassinated outside the Dakota. I feel like Wings barely has a leg to stand on. <laughs> Don't take your fucking victory sip at me. God damn it. That's a that's a that's a drink that didn't need to worry about a spit take. That is a confident gulp. You can call me a a, a Mark David champion. I think you've just given me a proof. Um, oh fucking proofs oh i hated fucking proofs oh my god fucking geometry fuck you i got to class i don't know if this is in the episode but you're welcome everyone for a second so like i did algebra and algebra i fucking got solve for x i'm like this is like a mystery i'm fucking math sherlock holmes i'm math lock holmes this is amazing i'm fucking solving for x i found out fucking x i found all the clues and quadratic shit fine we got to geometry it was like here's a problem uh Look it up in the back of the book and tell me why it's a problem. Huh? I what the fuck is this? This makes no sense. Proofs, yeah, I mean, theorems. What the fuck? I just want to. I want to. I would just want to catch that culprit X, that duplicitous letter at the end of the alphabet, who's hiding all these numbers. I'm gonna find him. Okay, okay, Invader Zim. Um. <laughs> It's a pretty good parallel. Anyway, I I liked algebra. I didn't like geometry. That's my point. Proofs and theorems. I hate them. And therefore, you can't you can't abide math jokes. I can abide some math jokes. Adds up. Fuck you. (laughs)